Got a whole lot, remember I ain't had none. We done sold out, now everybody mad at me. Tell them roll out, now everybody smashing. Get ready, cause you know it about to be a problem. Hey, hope you're ready, cause you know it about to be a problem. This the only way we know to go. Squad up, never roll alone. And we gon' ride on forever. We ride out together. Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Fast X. Join me today. They didn't bail on me, even though I, I served them a Stella instead of some Coronas. It's uh, Daniel Lima and Fred Cobb. Guys, how's it going? Going beautifully. Uh, I really would have preferred those to the Coronas, but you know. <laughs> Fred, what's up? Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean we're talking about Fast X? When you said uh, we're going to talk about the new Vin Diesel movie, I thought we were going to discuss Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. What do you mean oh. Fast X? I didn't <laughs> you know, go for that one. <laughs> you know, I saw like a, uh, I saw like a, I, I don't know if it was like actual real or just like something from one of those, you know, garbage uh, like clickbait websites, but something that like said that he had like Vin Diesel had made like just an insane amount of money from playing group, like upwards of like $40 million. I mean, I always thought it was like, Oh, I guess they can get points even when they're, if they're that big of a name, even if they're not the lead, but like, that's just incredible. Good, good for him. You know, I mean, imagine how much he makes off the fast movies. It's like, Oh, here's another $50, $50 million for saying three words, a thousand different ways. Um, <laughs> good for him. Good for him. Um, but Fast X is the newest installment of the Fast and Furious franchise. It's the follow-up to 2021's F9. We have Daniel joined for that podcast. Fred, I, you weren't actually on that one. You did Hobbs and Shaw, but I, I, I think for some reason you couldn't join for that. But, you know, the, when, when, I think I saw. Yeah, I, I, I remember that I wasn't on it and I tried to recall why that was. I think I just saw the movie super late. Or it might have been like you were traveling or something and just weren't going to see it before you traveled. It was something like that. But like we wanted, we wanted Fred back for this one because honestly, I think Daniel has some very strange opinions about these movies, and I'm and I'm, I'm curious <laughs> what Fred's are because I don't think I've ever talked about one in the I don't think I've ever talked about one in the main in the, in the main franchise uh, with Fred. But Fast X picks up sometime after the uh, after the events of F9. Uh, the family are doing the family things, and Dom is teaching his like seven year old son how to drive because of course uh, his name is uh, Brian Brian or goes by B or Little B. It seems like they're living happily ever after all of a sudden um they are th- their lives are just kind of just upended when out of nowhere uh a guy who just happens to look like jason momoa just like storms into their lives after storming into the life of cypher uh played by charlie theron who was the villain of uh furious eight uh or no or uh fast eight and the fate of the furious uh, yeah fate how of dare the furious. you god damn how dare um, you <laughs> God, I, I do not do not ask me to like say what say what all these names are, um. But but like yeah, he, uh, Jason Momoa plays uh, Dante Reyes, who is the uh, who is the son of of the bad guy from Fast Five, Hernan Reyes. Where we saw yeah, them we all remember we uh, we all remember Hernan Reyes, right? Like yeah, I mean and, that totemic villain. Daniel is not in the minority opinion of, uh, as far as like not thinking those that's the best stretch of these movies. Uh, but like he's certainly a forgettable villain. And uh, but like you know the the crew like kind of takes takes down his empire in fs5 and uh and dante is back for revenge and it just there's a whole different i mean we're going to talk about how this plot defies description but uh, a lot of different sequences of events kind of bring all these characters together he kidnaps letty and they have to go on a mission to uh to to save her and that takes them around the world as these movies do uh fred i'm curious because Again, we you, you you were here for Hobson Shaw and I but I don't think I've ever talked about a movie like that's in the main franchise with you. And I'm wondering because I'm kind of of the more mainstream opinion that like the the, the kind of the peak of these movies was the the five, six, seven stretch, though I actually do enjoy I actually do enjoy one, two, and three to varying extents, and I actually enjoy eight, except for the fact that they invite Deckard Shaw to the fucking barbecue, even though he seemingly at that point had killed Han. Uh, and by the way, a big part of this movie is the people, the characters that come in and out of it, and some of them are surprises, some of them are, you know, really big surprises. So I and I don't want to have to talk around it. So this is a spoiler for this is a spoiler filled episode from the from the outset. Uh, but Fred, that five, six, seven stretch of the franchise, and maybe to a lesser extent four, which Daniel likes, I don't like. But I think even between four and five, like the production values and the budgets and the scope of a lot of the set pieces, they really went up to uh, just they, they really went up another notch in five. And I'd say like these last couple of movies have still, you know, maybe kept that same uh, kept that same level of fireworks and dollar signs on the screen. But, you know, I, I, I was pretty mixed to kind of down on F9 
And uh, man, I think this movie is kind of a, an abomination. And I'm and I, and I, I don't I don't I don't think you disagree, but I want to know. Uh, as you sat sat through this movie and uh, and were forced to you know stick it out to the end because you knew your professional obligations to this podcast were going to require that you not walk right. out of it. Yes. Not 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 that you would have walked out. I don't think you're really a guy that walks out of movies. But uh, I mean, look, it, it was just it was just not a fun hang in my opinion. And I'm and I, I think you agreed. So I'm curious, despite given that the production values in some ways are still the same, at least technically, what do you think is the biggest thing that's like missing from the movies at this point that was there in those other three that I think you liked like I did. I think the biggest problem of the franchise these days is, and to be fair, that is not really their fault because you can't really account for the fact that one of the biggest actors in the franchise passed away 10 years ago. Um, that big stretch that you talked about uh, of Fast Five to Furious 7, yes, it's really Furious. hard to keep the names of those movies straight. Furious but I think 7 it's and Fast then like Five Fast 8, Fate of the Furious. I don't know what the name of 8 is. You're right, it is Fate, but I don't know what the... Fate of the Furious. Yes. Yeah. So I think a huge part of that was that's when you really got this idea that it's really all about the family, that Vin Diesel is this big patriarch and he's surrounded by his friends and all of his family members. And the fact that you had Brian, an ex-cop who was in love with his sister, and Vin Diesel, who was kind of trying to move on from his criminal past and became more of a force for good in the world and not just a simple street racer in L.A., uh, there was a sort of sincerity, I think, to their bond that really drove a lot of the narrative. Uh, in those three movies. And now that Paul Walker is gone, they've never really found anything to replace that with. So you have all of those talks about family and obligation and duty to your family and friends, but it rings totally hollow for the most part. Mm. And one of the symptoms of that, and this really isn't a huge issue, but something I keep noticing, whenever they mention Brian in these movies nowadays, the guy is still alive. He's just hanging out somewhere with his kids <laughs> and his wife keeps showing up to family dinners, but he's at home living his best life, apparently. But whenever they look at pictures of the guy, there's somber music. Everybody gets very melancholy. So if this guy is having the time of his life being at home and he's moved away from all of that. Why is everybody sad whenever his name comes up? They can't even <laughs> reconcile it within this universe, let alone in the larger picture of what these movies are about now that he's gone. So that is, I think, one of the major issues that they've never really been able to address for how do you move past his loss and kind of replace that with something else to get attached to emotionally. Yeah, I, and I have a thought. I'm going to probably add on to that about the, the family part, but it, it, it is just kind of silly because I did. Wait, did one of you guys rewatch F9? Daniel, do you watch F9 at all recently? God, no. I mean, I, I say that I actually am more positive of that movie than you are, uh, even if I, only slightly. Well, I think um, I think Mia might have shown up in that one, too. Like, and actually, like, yep, to, like yeah, she to, shows like, to, up to, like, help them. And it's like because because John Cena's their brother. I Yeah, I guess that might have been that. That's how they justified it. But it's like, look, like I get it. Like Brian wants to, you know, stay off the grid and just like help protect it and, and be with this family. Like she's <laughs> she's fine. It's totally bailing on them. And he's not. I, like, it didn't I, make I had I have I actually wrote notes that I did rewatch this movie just before we recorded because I had completely forgotten it. Well, so I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you, like, because at least after your first viewing, you said uh, I, I I didn't like it, but I think I might have it be a softer dislike than most people did. Watching it again, give you any greater appreciation for anything or uh, or lesser? about the same because if about the same what did you mean by that i mean okay um unlike you two i'm not a huge fan of the series the best entries for me are hobbs and shaw and fat the the fast and the furious the which fourth up, movie. which up until this one those are my two least favorite <laughs> yeah and those are the only two i think are even notable oh uh so like i'm not a huge fan of the franchise so why do you care enough then to even want to be on this podcast and uh and, and then because it's an action movie it's one of the <laughs> biggest action despite the fact that it's no there's not between any of these movies including the ones i like there's only there's no standout action set pieces i think that the opening of four is good and i think that the action set pieces in uh hobbs and shaw because you know you've got um you know david leach behind the camera are you know pretty workable decent but nothing memorable and the that dichotomy the fact that this is one of the biggest original quote-unquote action franchises of all time but it has no good action uh i i find that fascinating uh or in a bile sort of way so uh, going into this, my expectations were pretty low. They weren't really met, but, um, you know, they, my expectations were far lower than most people's. So and, and honestly, on this rewatch, which I had been dreading, 
the movie does kind of just wash over me. It's nothing is good, but it's one of those things where like every single solitary moment I'm thinking to myself, oh, that could have been done better. Oh, that could have been done better. Oh, I see what they did wrong here. But nothing ever really elicits the same sort of frustration that I think the only one that I've disliked out of any of these movies is Fast Five. And so like that one, but that one, it's because it's even though it's like it's better designed. I think that there's an actual thought going into that movie, but it's compromised by the filmmaking. The big safe set piece of five, right? It's like this really intricate design set piece like you've got the safe going down the road being towed by these cars the safe itself is actually practical like there's actually um a pickup truck that is within that safe that's driving along with them and they have to carefully choreograph at some points they are swinging like an actual safe down the road and such like it's all practical and that should be great but it's compromised by the way that they shoot it it's compromised by like they're cutting constantly between the safe and they're shooting too close in so you don't get the breadth of what's going on on this street like all that stuff ruins what's a good idea and here there's not really any good idea and so the fact that it's not really executed too, too well doesn't bother me as much. It's like, it's a lot of the same ideas too. And it's like, a yes. for me, for, for, I mean, you, you, you mentioned the safe thing, like in the movie tries to have it take and eat it too, because it comments on the fact that this bomb rolling through Rome is like Jason Momoa's Dante paying an homage to the safe thing that happened in Rio. And it's like, no, you guys just like wanted to like, you guys just didn't have a new idea. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is the 10th movie of the franchise. And, you know, it's not only that. There's like he's trailing around two helicopters at the end of the movie. And it's pretty much the exact same choreography as the safe. You know, he's just mm-hmm. swinging them around to knock off cars off the road. Well, you know? well, no, well so at the end, they have they, they have a, they have a car going out of the plane to try and land on something, which is yep. what happens in, 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 in Furious 7. It was uh, even bigger for, there. They were going off parachutes. Right. That was it was cooler when they did it in that one. Here they have the in here. They also have the, the, the they, they make the little kid jump from car to car, which I believe Letty does in fast six or five or and six. He, and he catches her in midair like yeah. every single individual like solitary. Oh, that's the silly sort of stuff i like from this series every single moment is like just a lesser version of something this series has already done right so it's repetitive and also like i've heard some people and i mean even you were a little worried i would get too bogged down in the plot you messaged me earlier today to be like don't try and do a plot summary like this this plot is a mess i'm not going to do a plot summary i don't see these movies for the plot i'm not going to try and do that at all but i think there is a distinction to be made between like like, I think you can go to these movies and not give a shit about the plot. Like, every one of them is about, oh, there's this God's Eye thing that can see everything. There's this other MacGuffin that they got to chase down, or they got to go save that person, and we're going to go do a bunch of stuff and don't think too hard about why we're doing it. They're just doing it. Fine. I think there is a distinction to be made in these movies between the story and the plot, and I, in, 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 in more so than you might think at first blush, and I think it ties into just the stakes of the story overall. Aside from like a the the world might get be shut down, it's like, look, if you constantly put people in danger, it's 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 just it's just not going to make for a compelling story if like nothing ever happens to those people. It, I think it's like a bigger problem than it is in something like the Avengers movies or the excuse me the Marvel movies. And the Marvel movies at this point, like they've been robbed of their stakes because of this multiverse, and anyone can come back at any given time. I've tried to like not let it affect my enjoyment of it too much. I was in the camp of people that didn't like the end of Avengers Infinity War because of that reason. I never, I knew those people were coming back. But you know what? At least I can accept in those movies that like there's some weird sci-fi stuff where things like that can happen and multiverses can happen. We're not doing that here. And I just don't necessarily at any given point think this movie has the balls to like follow through on anything. And as I'm watching it, and f- first of all, uh, a big chunk of this movie is uh, someone else takes over for Mr. Nobody, which is the Kurt Russell character from F9, or was he in 8? Uh, I think it was in 7. I don't know. Yeah, he, was, he started coming in pretty early, I think, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize he'd been he's around. The guy who, yeah, he's the guy who recruits them. I think in 6, when they become super spies. I forgot. Did he did he, did he he break bad in 9, or did he like just disappear? Because they keep talking about him like no one can find him. I don't, like, I, I don't movie, know. I, I don't think Kurt know. Russell had better oh, things okay. to do. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember that either. Uh, so Brie Larson comes in as his daughter and is like kind of on the side of these guys, while Alan Richin plays like Completely the person fucking that, useless. Sorry, that takes, 
don't disagree. Uh, she is. It's it's really disappointing if you just look at what's going on with her career for the last however many years. But uh, yeah. you know, uh, whatever. She gets to be in this movie, fine. But like, there's this guy, Alan Richardson, who is just a massive human being that I guess plays Jack Reacher in the Amazon Jack Reacher series. And, and it's good. I should point out, is pretty good. More importantly, he played Fat Castle on Blue Mountain State, one of the all-time great comedy classics. Uh, I did not. I, I did not career. know that. But like, I, it does not surprise me that he played a Thad Castle. He just looks like a Thad Castle. But he he comes in as the guy taking over for Kurt Russell. And I don't disagree, Daniel, that he might have more charisma than you would uh, than you would normally expect for someone in that role. But he gets the unfortunate role being the guy that tries to convince everyone that the, that the family is bad. Oh, yeah. Which is, by the way, also derivative of uh, the big guy from uh, Mission Impossible 6 Fallout. Remember the big guy who plays uh, Superman? Oh, uh, Henry, Henry Cavill. Cavill. Henry Cavill. It's pretty much the exact same character. He's the big guy oh, yeah, right. who works for the government. Who has who a turn. Tries to convince, yeah, who convinces everyone that the heroes are bad and then is revealed to be an actual villain, which apparently they had filmed the this role two ways. One in which he's just hired by Jason Momoa. Mm. And another where he's his brother. <laughs> I mean, Jason Momoa doesn't even really look all that much like the Dante guy. And it's like, he's Portuguese, but he just sounds American. I, I, or excuse me, Brazilian, but he sounds, I don't know. Um, but like, I, and I don't know about you guys, but like someone like trying to give, like uh, uh, whenever a significant portion of a TV show or a movie is about uh, where, where the plot is just like, oh, everyone thinks the heroes are bad. I just don't find it compelling. It's just a pet peeve of mine. I, I just, it's, it, I just know it's, I, I just, because there's no suspense to it. You know, they're going to be, you know, you know, they're going to come out of it by the end and people are going to think they're good. And you just kind of always know where it's going, especially in these movies that can't even keep their fucking villains as villains. They have to turn every yeah. villain into a good guy at some point that teams up with you. I'm watching, uh, I was watching Charlize Theron show up on her door, the doorstep, and I'm mm-hmm. like, man, I know that by the end of part three, Fast mm-hmm. X part she's in the three, family. She's going to be, she's, the family. She's gonna be she's drinking them Corona. She's drinking the bar. And I'm like, I don't even, I, to be honest with you, I forgot why they hate her, to be honest. I think she killed, she killed like, the slumber. She killed oh, the, she? Uh, the son's mother in uh, Fate of the Furious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Completely forgot about that. But like, but that, but, but again, but again, Han was in the family and they still invited Decker to the barbecue at the end of eight. So that really means nothing that they killed Dom's baby mama. Now that the kid still has a mom anyway, because Letty's raising him on an Ezra. So yeah. there's just no consequences to anything. If the movie doesn't have the balls to keep murderers as bad guys, they're not going to have the balls to like actually see through any kind of storyline where any of our people actually would turn bad or be thought of as bad. So it's just like, it, it works even less for me in this movie than others. And on top of that, like, I just, I just don't think anyone's ever going to die. So like at a certain point, because they keep bringing people back and it just takes away from the action too. You know, like right. I, the action is already derivative of what's come before it, but how can you really, if they're going to do the super dangerous stuff, how is it really all that compelling if you don't actually think anything bad's going to happen to them? And I'm curious what you guys thought, because, uh, well, first of all, uh, Fred, what do you think of Momoa? Because I actually think it might be the one thing that kind of like redeemed the movie a little bit for me, because he actually had fun and was memorable in a way that I think the villains in these movies typically aren't. Yeah, maybe he didn't actually have any lines in the script. I feel like he just got <laughs> very general. I think he just got very general directions. All right, just say whatever comes to mind, whatever you think that character should say in that moment, just let it rip. And I think he's really good at that sort of stuff. I don't know if you ever watched that TV show that he did a few years ago, Frontier. I did not. Where he plays, uh, he plays a uh, Canadian fur trapper, Declan Harp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right, well, you're, you're selling Gorgeous me. Thing. Yeah, no, he, he's basically this fur trapper who goes up against uh, the British trading company up there. They, of course, try to take over the lands and they try to monopolize the economy up there. And he's really just this native guy who keeps uh, using extremely violent methods to drive them out of that region. Um, And I mean, he's a good guy in that show, but it's also very sort of deranged how he deals with them. There's literally a scene, I think in the third season, where he just rips one of the guy's spinal cords out (laughs) and then holds it up. So- Okay, well, I gotta see this show. Just say, Daniel, I'm surprised you haven't seen it. (laughs) I was gonna say, so that's kind of the vibe I think he's going for here. And yeah, I think it was really well done. And you never know with these movies, but. I'm getting the sense that he's probably not the kind of guy who's going to get invited to a barbecue at some point in the future, which, to, yeah, to the movie's credit, I think that was desperately needed. But then again, you also look at John Cena's character in the previous movie, and you wouldn't have thought that he would have redeemed himself either. Because well, hold on, hold on. We, all, we all knew he was coming to the barbecue the moment he was cast. We were like, OK, by the end of this movie, he's grilling with the rest of them. Is he at the barbecue at the end of nine? I can't remember. I think he is. So yeah. I don't know. OK. I actually don't remember that. But again, you're watching a two and a half hour movie where he's the villain and does all kinds of crazy shit. I don't remember what exactly he does in that movie to go against Dom and the family. 
But obviously, he was the main villain in that. Yeah, yeah. And now you just undo all of that. And now in the 10th movie, he gets this really he's weird plot where he just, wait, yeah, he's the fun, cool, old fashioned uncle. Nothing like the character we saw in the ninth movie. So why should I even get invested in any of the plots when I know that all of that is just going to be undone in the next one anyway? Well, so you you, yeah. you kind of went where I was going with that one in that, like, I thought Momoa was like a good correction for what they did with Cena in nine, because like Cena is just like every every now and then a movie's just going to put him in a role where it like makes him super serious. And that is he is so much better as a funny guy. He's might be yeah. a, he might be my favorite comic actor working today. I even watched that like I even watched that movie on Hulu that he did with like uh, Lil Ray Howery where he played like the oh, it's like the vacation couple's movie. friends. Yeah, I yeah, thought he's funny. funny. I wanted actually, to yeah. see that. I did want to see that. He's funny. Oh, no, yeah. he, he's literally funny whenever he is asked to be funny. But sometimes they'll try and make him serious. Like he's in Bumblebee, which in my opinion might be the second best Transformers movie, and he's just not good in it because they just make him be like a super serious general, and they make him just be super serious and emotionless basically for all of F nine. So they corrected it. it. It's not. It's not totally consistent with the character from movie to movie at all. But they're like, yeah, we probably fucked up by like not having seen him do the stuff he's good at. Let's just make him fun. And we're like, but while we're at it, let's not have another boring ass villain. Let's make. Him have fun so i kind of like appreciated those choices but at the same time i'm like all right so they're gonna make us like cena and they're, now they're gonna make us think he's dead but i'm not gonna actually believe he's dead for a second uh, I did, i'm sorry you're, you, 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 you this movie does not earn the benefit of the doubt at all with respect to making the right kind of decisions on those things and i just i, I was expecting to pop up from the moment he gave sacrifices himself to the end of the movie i'm like he's coming back he's coming back and then like we get to the end of the movie and i'm like oh Maybe they actually did kill him, even if they didn't really take the time to mourn him. I don't even think they're talking about him at the end. Uh, and then on top of that, right at the end, freaking Gal Gadot's Giselle comes back. You know, and- I listened to I was listening to our F9 podcast mm-hmm. while I was waiting for the showing to start. Mm-hmm. And I got to the part where uh, we talk about Gal Gadot and you're like, you mentioned Gal Gadot dying in F7 or something. And I was like, I don't know. Did she? And you're like, I don't know. Maybe they're going to bring her back. And I'm like, yeah, I hope oh my they God. do. I, 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 I hope did not. They do. I didn't remember talking about that. We, she was last seen at the end of Fast 6. Going through a goddamn airplane engine. Oh, I, I didn't remember she went through the engine. I just remember the thing was going 100 miles an hour and she just like fell off the back of the plane that was on this runway that went on for about 30 minutes. Uh, and so oh, I, God, I, yeah. I, I would I would have thought we could have assumed she was dead. But no. So once I see that they're freaking bringing her back too, then I have no reason to believe that Cena's dead. I'm just not going to be sad about it. It's like they, 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 they were smart enough to make him likable and then they killed him and I feel nothing. And it's just yeah. like these movies cannot get out of their own way. There are so many stars in this that have jack shit to do. So why not like just actually kill a few of them so you can like give the other ones more? It's not like you're wanting for star power if you actually have the balls to kill someone and then your audience might actually feel something or buy that you have stakes. It's one of those things where like the movie, you know, like I said, it wants to have This is my main problem with certainly the post reboot soft reboot films is that mm-hmm. you they want to be the cartoony ropey action movies. But they also want to have a degree of gravitas through this family theme, going back to what um, uh, Fred was saying at the beginning. And the fact is that because the action has no real stakes, because you know that they can just erase something uh, just to just for the sake of convenience to retain their star power. Uh, and because, you know, there's this kind of void at the center, they try to make, you know, Brian, who I'm not a huge fan of, but they try to make that guy like the heart of the franchise. But he, you know, man is gone and they haven't killed off the character. So it's like, well, where is he? This heart of the franchise, who's the cornerstone of this family theme, who can't bother to show up to any of these cookouts in the past like five <laughs> years, you know, can't be bothered. He's just off like doing whatever. That never works, but like they also never really commit to being just good, fun action movies. You know, at their best, they are doing like the ropey, silly, goofy stuff, you know, like. So so what do you mean by that? Do you mean you want better car chases? Do you mean you want better hand to hand combat? What do you want? Uh, Well, it's it's I'm of multiple minds here, I think. And I should say here that my main issue with a lot of the action here is that even though like they actually do care to some extent about the action set pieces you go and look at the closing credits and the first name after the cast you know after that mid-credit scene the first name you see is uh spiro risottos or whatever his name is the uh stunt coordinator second unit director and you know like a movie does that when they like want to highlight the action right and like there if you go to the behind the scenes stuff you're seeing that they actually are doing a lot of practical stuff like when that ball Uh, That bomb goes through a bus. That's a real thing going through a real bus. But it's compromised because they cut it all to shit because they don't establish geography because they can't 
they don't linger on any one shot. So like, even though it's a practical thing going through a practical bus, for example, they're cutting it up so that you see 10 different shots in 10 seconds. So you don't get the full impact. So it feels just as real as all the CG stuff. There's a, there's a set piece back at the, the, the bridge from fast five. And the thing is, they are obviously using the volumetric lighting that they do on The Mandalorian. They're obviously using green screen. But there's also some shots where there are actual cars there. And so you get this weird fucking Frankensteinian beast of an action set piece where, like, you know nothing is real, you know. And the stuff that is real doesn't feel real for that reason. So there are two ways to fix that. Either A, you go the John Wick route, you actually, you know, hand this off to somebody who really fully understands action, you fully commit to that director. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Louis Letty. Oh, which by the way, I should point out that talking about not committing to your director, um, <laughs> Justin Lin was originally slated to direct. He was on set for a week, got into a bunch of arguments with Vin Diesel, walked off set screaming, like, this movie is not worth my mental health. And uh he left the production. And so, you know, a week into production, they replaced him with Louis Lettier. Lettier? I don't know how to pronounce French. Um, who is not a, you know, not a sterling director. He's got um, The Transporter with Jason Statham, which is okay-ish. You know, Clash of the Titans, Incredible Hulk. <laughs> a definite two or three star general at best. Um, but, you know, like he's just kind of steering, trying to keep the steering wheel like you know, in place, right? He's clearly not a guy trying to like deliver some of the greatest action set pieces you possibly could conceive of, right? There are like four different editors on this movie. Uh, who knows what that, you know, post-production pipeline was like. Um, uh, who knows the stuff they did with the script? Like I said, they're shooting multiple scenes of multiple characters because they're not committing to any single uh, character beat or narrative uh, until like post-production, which is not how you make a movie. Um, going back to the action stuff, if you want to do like the silly, goofy, ropey stuff where like Vin Diesel uses his car to like hit a crane to block the bomb thing, like then go all out with that stuff. Commit to that. Make every single scene like a looking like speed racer. You know what I mean? Um, but the film doesn't do that either. It doesn't become a full-blown cartoon. They still try to ground things and the amalgamation just doesn't work. See, I don't really have to know how to explain why action scenes don't work in terms of how they're shot and how they're edited. But here's my issue with the action. Hmm. There is a chunk, I think, pretty much right in the middle of the movie of about 30 minutes, where it's consecutive scene after consecutive scene after consecutive scene of characters who are really on the same side, just fighting each other physically for several minutes because <laughs> they have some kind of argument and it doesn't drive the plot forward at all. You have oh, Tesh and Roman. Are you talking about are you talking about uh the Charlize Theron fight? Yep, yeah, that's one of them. Yep. But then you also have Tesh and Roman fighting in that shop in London where Pete Davidson is for some reason behind the <laughs> counter, uh selling muffins, um, which is also fun kind muffins, of superfluous. Fun muffins, fun. Uh yep, then Deckard Shaw and Han, they have their fist fight, of course, even though Deckard is also now kind of part of the family, but of course, because why did, why, did, why, why, does Deckard, why does Deckard hate him? He should just be happy people forgave him for like potentially yeah, exactly. murdering him. It doesn't make yeah, any guy, sense. <laughs> no yeah, exactly. Sense. Yeah, so it doesn't drive the plot forward at all. I don't think the fights are particularly exciting because there are no real stakes to them, right? There is literally even in the scene where Letty and uh Cypher go at it. They're killing time because they have like four minutes, I think, that they need to waste. So, so they just fight each other and trash the room. So that's basically just 30 minutes in the middle where there's no plot momentum whatsoever. They're just basically filling time. Why is that necessary? Why do we need any of that? And why do we need a two and a half hour movie if that's really all you're going to do with that? That is absolutely excellent that you pointed that out. I actually made that note multiple times while rewatching the movie. Uh, there's no motivation to the action. You know, oh. action works best when there's an actual goal, you know, for all the characters and, you know, characters with multiple different motivations and balancing those out and letting that express itself through action. Uh, there is actually one set piece that I think is actually good. I think this is the one scene in the movie that is good. Uh, and it is the street race. Really? Genuinely. I actually kind of disagree. The, see, I actually like the street racing. First off, because the aesthetic, it, it feels like there's actual, actually a lot of people in one place. It's colorful. It's unique. 
you know, whereas every single other scene is like a just an ugly green screen or like the same sort of European settings that all these movies shoot at. Like this is this has a personality to it. And then you have this confrontation, you know, the villain going up against the hero uh, face to face. They're actually sharing the same screen, which you can't say for like, you know, that set piece on the on the bridge with um, with uh, Captain Marvel. And then when they get behind the wheels of the car, there's a clear goal. You know, at first it's who is going to win the street race. But then there's a twist. The Yeah, the two other people who, granted, there's a bit of a failure because I don't know who these two people are. Yeah, I, clearly, I, I wasn't sure. It, it seemed like we were supposed to remember that guy from Fast Five, potentially. Like, like yeah, he has a relationship no with idea. him, but I, I yeah. He I was know. in the movie. He was, yeah, yeah, he was. He was yeah. yeah, he was. No idea who he was. <laughs> but then, and then this other girl who, uh, uh, Daniela Melchior. Of course, who, has to be related to someone. When, uh, yeah, yeah. And I here's the thing. I, I. I didn't care for her. And I like Daniela in her. Like she, uh, what was the thing that she did uh, a couple years back? Uh, Suicide Squad. And I really liked her there. She was also in Guardians of the Galaxy. And I liked, I liked her there in her little cameo there as the the, the red alien. The receptionist. Um, yep. Yeah. The receptionist, yeah. The, and here uh, I could, keep sitting I, on. Yeah. yeah. Here I did not care for her at all. Uh, I'm not going to lie. For a moment, I was like, is, is she actually even Brazilian? She turns out she's Portuguese. I don't know. Her accent sounded a little different than what I'm used to hearing. I am Brazilian. But anyways, so uh, even though, yeah, we don't know who those two guys are. Clearly, Vin Diesel cares for them. And Jason Momoa reveals that he's going to kill one of these two people in the race. And he has to choose who to save. Now, how does that work when they're in cars? Who's to say? But co- at least there's a stake there. Like, who is going to die? And I'll say this. I don't think Lewis is coming back. I don't think that guy in the green car is coming back to the next cookout. But yeah, and so like there's a clarity of who's going to die. Uh, it's shot so much better in part because there's actually a decent amount of CG on this one in, in, in the same vein as like that first race in uh, the first film, you know? Uh, I It is actually, weirdly enough, the most grounded most clear set piece there's like that one uh that one camera shot that's pretty much the shot from wings 1928 um it's inspired there's an actual visual aesthetic there's clear goals it actually worked for me i i I don't disagree that it maybe looked a little better than a lot of the other stuff in the movie but i kind of just wanted to see a race and i was like oh i just kind of groaned when it because i kind of wanted to see momoa's dante like be really competent at something other than like just planning out a bunch of shit to a preposterous degree that every single thing happened. It turns out that like, Oh no, I got, I have an answer for that. I have an answer for that. No, I actually knew that was going to happen. Like it's, he's good at planning a bunch of shit out in advance and somehow just knowing exactly what move everyone's going to make. I want to see him like be really good at something because he's obviously very competent. If we're led to believe that they stole all the money from his family and he's like built everything back up to this, like he has to be good at something. And it would have been cool if he was actually a really good racer because these movies haven't really had that many races in recent years, you know? No. Yeah. And I, I, that's, that's fair. That's and so fair. it's like, so it's like, Oh cool. He just like, he cheated and is just going to blow people up. It's like, I actually want to see if he's like, maybe he's just like actually really kick ass at driving cars. And we, we didn't, we didn't even get to see him do that. It's really just like the whole movie is just him. I mean, I, and I, I'm not the first to say this, but he's the fast franchise's Joker. Like that, that's what he is. And uh, in, in a way, I should say that I'm not also a huge fan of that character uh, or that performance. Uh, Jason oh, okay. Momoa, like in the scene that he's introduced, I think there's a good balance between like the sort of like camp, I suppose, and like, uh, you know, actually being threatening. And then they lean too much into him being like a cartoonish kind of oaf. Um, and like it just robs him of uh, all the gravitas that he had built up. I, I was not a huge fan of the of the performance, to be honest with you. Fred, were, were, there, were there any action sequences that actually worked for you in the whole thing? So I actually liked the scene where they were going through Rome, going after that bomb, mainly because, yeah, you're right. Of course, it's meant to be an explicit uh, copy and paste job from what happened in Rio in Fast Five. But mm. at the very least, you kind of know what that action scene is about, right? Like there is a bomb, it's headed to the Vatican, they're trying to stop it. So you mentioned that earlier, that there are a lot of scenes in this movie, especially the action scenes, where there are no real stakes and no real discernible goals. In this particular case, it's pretty clear what they're trying to accomplish. And to me, that I also have a weakness for car chases through major European cities. Uh, (laughs) I mean, we already got one in John Wick 4 earlier this year. Um, We got the one in Mission Impossible Fallout, of course. There's a really great one in a late 90s movie called Ronin. That's usually considered to be one of the best action scenes of all time. Uh, So I always like it when filmmakers go back to the well for that 
But see, my problem with these movies isn't really about the action anymore. I think it's just the absolute vacuum of charisma that's at the center of these movies, and that's Vin Diesel. Mm. <laughs> he's he's kind of he's reached a point now where he just doesn't realize anymore that he is the star of the dumbest action franchise of the 21st century. He thinks he's some kind of Shakespearean he thinks character. He's a, he thinks he's in The Godfather. Yeah, exactly. Like he's super contemplative about what family means to him and the legacy that he's leaving behind and whether it's all worth the risk of having all of his friends and family around him when at any point in time somebody could come and mess it all up. And what's really strange okay, like, about who, that is- who is, he, who is he to throw Justin Lin off of this movie? Justin Lin's like a, an accomplished director that did six and five and six. Like people res- people like respect these movies in the first place because of those. Like Yeah, that's a really funny anecdote that The Rock partially didn't want to do these movies anymore because Vin Diesel tried to give him acting advice at some point, which is- You know, just funnily enough, a Jernavoy told me that uh, in one of the previous, and I defended Vin. I defended Vin. No, The Rock and, is a better actor. Yeah, I, I said that Vin can be a good actor. And I was watching this movie. Actually, one of my first notes was, maybe he can't act. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. So I actually watched Pitch Black for the first time a couple of nights ago, which, by the way, it. it's on Netflix. That's the first movie in the Chronicles of Riddick franchise. Oh. And it's actually really well done because it doesn't have a very high budget. So it really has to work around the fact that it's trying to create this whole world with monsters running all over it on essentially a shoestring budget. And what is really good about that one is that it recognizes how best to use Vin Diesel. Like he's actually a convicted killer in that one, but he's really good at seeing in the dark and there's an eclipse on the planet. So they need him to actually fight those aliens. And he's good at that. He doesn't do a lot of talking. We don't really find out a lot about his backstory, which makes him mysterious. Uh, and he's not really somebody who ends up becoming the good guy by the end because it's all about just surviving the moment. And clearly he has an interest in doing that as well. So he doesn't have to become the hero all of a sudden to accomplish that. And I think that was a really good showcase of his actual skills as an actor. But now that he has become the domineering force in this franchise and really gets to call all the shots, there is just such a fundamental disconnect between the stuff that's happening on the screen and how he wants to portray this character and the themes he wants to address. Mm. And it's just not really something that I think the franchise is ever going to get over again, because unless he recognizes that and comes back to a position where he knows that he needs to treat this as just a silly action movie again, those movies are just never going to become watchable again. This, and he, this guy's more charismatic, but I actually think Tom Cruise has done less acting as the Mission Impossible movies have gone on. Like, I feel like I remember Vin like doing a little bit more in the earlier movies, and like Ethan Hawke is charming. Just, and Ethan and Ethan Hawke and or not Ethan Hawke, Ethan Hunt is just a cipher for these for for these really cool action scenes at this point. Though he shows more a little more personality, I would still say than Dom does in the later Fast movies. Now, I don't know. I I don't I don't know why that is, but like I, it's just something where it's like I I I tend to agree with Fred that it's like it's kind of disappointing that it feels like it's gone that way because like. Like like Daniel said, like he is charming and charismatic in these early movies in a different way, and I don't know why he got away from that. I was just like looking at his IMDb. Like I I don't have strong opinions. I've never I've never actually watched the Riddick movies, uh, or or the or the Triple X movies. Uh, like I, oh, Return I, of Xander Cage is better than any Fast and Furious. Oh, uh, okay. I so I've, I, it's just they're, they're a blind spot for me. Like the last thing I actually remember like being, oh, that's like really good. Like I actually think he's good in Boiler Room. That movie came out twenty three years ago. It's it, it is what it is. This is what he wants to do. I don't get it. Sorry, Fred. I was gonna say, uh, I I did like the point you made about like the stakes of that of, of that action sequence because I mean, yeah, it's a ripoff, but it's like I prefer that. Like, are they gonna save these innocent people from something? Is, is like a far more compelling plot point to me because there's an evil villain that's out there like put all these innocent people at risk. That's far more interesting to me than what we spent a lot of this movie doing. Like, are these are 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 our heroes going to be able to clear their good name? Because it's like it's it, you could easily just have like a lot of innocent people be collateral damage, and that that would be like that. I, I would I would just actually buy that as a thing that actually would have consequences compared to any of these other characters dying. So yeah, but they're like, not family. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> Well, you know, I I do think that I, while I I I'm with you on the fact that there are clear goals and all, I think this is what that's one of the because it kind of re- reminds me of Fast Five. Uh, I find it kind of more frustrating just because you know you're cutting in between the you know the practical stuff, you're over editing and you're incorporating all the CG stuff that kind of undermines all the wonderful practical stuff. So it's one of those things where the filmmaking 
behind it compromises it. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's still, you know, uh, it's one of those things. I'm not, it's not bad enough that I'm angry, but like it's, uh, it, it didn't hit me like the street racing. I think what I really liked about Fast Five is that it was a very centralized movie in the sense of its location, right? Like the vast majority of the action took place in Rio. And that way you have all the characters there. They're working towards a clear goal. I think there's a pretty decent chunk in Fast Five where they're literally just practicing to break into the headquarters of the guy to steal the safe. Mm. And now in these movies, you basically just jump from location to location, from scene to scene without real, really any rhyme or reason. Like Letty and Charlie Theron's character, they're just parked in Antarctica doing their own thing. Uh, then you have these guys in London trying to get supplies, which they don't really end up getting. So there's <laughs> yeah, so much completely, completely yeah, superfluous yeah. subplot. Yeah, like Han eats a muffin and then they just walk out after Roman and Tesh get into a fight. Um, which, by the way, really appreciated your comment in your letterbox review. Uh, Tyrese Gibson really is just an absolute hole of comic oh, timing, isn't he? Awful. Awful, awful. Yeah. I actually on this rewatch, I walked out in that scene because I couldn't take it the second time. <laughs> I hated that. That is one of my that that's the only scene in the movie that I really truly desperately hate because it's so clearly just there for laughs. It's so deeply unfunny. Wait, None you, of the you, jokes are funny. Are you talking about the Pete Davidson scene? The Pete Davidson yeah, scene. Yeah, Pete yeah, Davidson's yeah. not very funny. Mm -hmm. Uh at least in that scene. I'm not a huge yeah. I mean, I liked him in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. But um and like they're 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 doing they're fighting each other for no discernible reason, comedic or otherwise. At one point he throws like dust into the air and I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? I think it's like a LeBron, <laughs> I think it's a LeBron <laughs> reference. I think I don't know. Uh and like it's it's just complete. I'm like staring at and here's the thing. I've seen this movie twice and people laughed at that, and I'm like, how oh, does God, what a world that we live in. I mean, we are AI is going to replace the writers and people aren't going to be able to tell the <laughs> difference because I, I, so many lines, so many comedic moments in this uh, film just well, absolutely don't work. There's like a line where like Tyrese is like, you know, it's like we're doing a heist in Rome. And I'm Roman. Roman. You know, it's yeah. like a, and then Ludacris is like, the only thing you know about Rome is Roman noodles. I'm like, what the? Oh fuck? my God. A grown adult <laughs> had to write this shit. Is this shit written in crayon? Like, it's got, that's the only excuse. If it's written in crayon by like their kid. Like, I mean, the Spy Kids movies had better jokes. And that man literally wrote the movies with his children. So, ugh, awful awful black well, hole of comedy yeah i feel like i remember actually liking those guys in earlier movies more than i did in this one um i i i, I just feel like i do actually remember getting more genuine laughs from them though you mentioned the some of your audience members laughing at it so i got to take a quick detour daniel and ask because you informed us in our group chat earlier that you went to the movies for the second time today and you saw a couple that was also there at your first viewing uh did, did did you end up talking to them after and did they just love the movie so much they had to go again uh no i did not talk to them mm, after because okay. i just don't i don't want to have to talk to them every time i see them I, actually i do think that these do they bring their like i guess uh service dogs or something or like you know uh therapy dogs or whatever they bring them to every single imax uh mid afternoon showing that i've been to Jeez. i think every single time i've been they've been maybe they're retirees or something i don't know but um yeah, I, I I did not want to have a conversation <laughs> because like also uh, if they liked it enough to see it a second time, then, then you're mean, gonna have to lie to them if they ask if you liked it because then you'll no, make I wouldn't. Bad. I, but my thing is I'm a bad liar, so I would just <laughs> tell the truth and bring the whole room down. Um, and funnily enough, uh, the first time I saw this movie when they saw Gal Gadot through the entirety of the credits to the very back end of the credits just to see if there was a post credit scene. This woman could not believe that Gal Gadot was in this. She was like, but how could she have survived? And I just wanted to lean over to her and say, do you really care? Do you really, really care? I mean, like, I, I, you know, I, I was, uh, I guess I wasn't surprised they actually brought her back, but like, she, she's, she's, she's <laughs> you just not sighed. Wrong. You just sighed. And went, yeah. She, they're not wrong to think she should have been dead though. You know, red, no um, red notice did not do very well, did it? And neither did <laughs> black Adam. Because well, we, got, we got we got the families back together, baby. Right. I was gonna say now that the DCEU has kind of uh, burned itself out, you have both Gal Gadot and The Rock back in the Fast and Furious franchise, right? Wonder Woman and Black Adam. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I mean, like, like James Gunn's like, yeah, we're not doing the Wonder Woman with her anymore, and like Black Adam just like was just a total failure. So they're like, All right, the hierarchy, the hierarchy right. of the Fast and Furious universe is about to change. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say, and this is just something that's totally aside from the movie itself, it royally pissed me off that that was spoiled on Twitter about a week before the movie got released. The fact that The Rock was actually in it in a post-credit scene. 
Like, why does that need to be public knowledge a week before the movie comes you know, out? Like, it's you, a know freaking, why. you know why. Like, it's a freaking post. Right, right, but it's a freaking post-credit scene. Like, the whole point of those is to actually surprise your viewers and get them hyped up for, like, future installments. Like, why does that need to be in an article of, like, a fairly reputable news outlet on social media a week before for, like, a 30-second appearance? I commented on that, and then some asshole response to me, of course, just, well, do you have any idea how much more money they're going to make just because The Rock is in it? And I don't I'm like, know. Dude, dude, Black Adam was two hours long and people didn't see it either, even though The Rock was in it. So <laughs> here's why the, is that here's a good selling point at this point? Look, look, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And yet I know for a fact that that must have gotten them at least another $10 million. I don't know. People Did Because oh. I, I think, I feel Did like people like people, The Rock that much. I think they're, look, I they actually think that he is good in the Fast franchise. Like, I mean, what are the, yeah, as somebody. Yes, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree I, with yeah, that. As one of the, as one, somebody who's not a huge fan of like five through seven, uh, the moment that he flexes the cast off of himself, I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I won't lie. I, I won't lie. Even now, even now, somebody who, you know, I, I, it's become harder and harder to defend Dwayne Johnson as a movie star uh, with shit like Red Notice and Black Adam. But, um, the moment I saw him in this movie at the end, I will admit that there was, I felt a little something like, oh, the next one might be good. Right. But wouldn't you have felt, I mean, did you know that he was going to be in this beforehand? Yeah. Okay. But wouldn't you, wouldn't it have been so much more exciting if you hadn't known and then he had just shown up in the post credit scene? You would have been super hyped, right? I, I'm, I, I'm, I too, I'm too cynical. Maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little cynical. too cynical for that. But I do think that there are people that, I mean... And I think the, this this franchise, just in general, kind of is riding off the goodwill of people who aren't quite as um who who aren't quite as critical uh, and uh, you know uh, as uh, they don't think too much about this stuff. I won't lie. Like I was walking out of the theater and I heard a lot of people going, "Oh yeah, that was pretty good." And I'm like, "How John Wick came out this year? It came out. It's still in theaters. You could go do a double bill right now." And how could mm-hmm. you possibly be satisfied with what you just saw? And John Wick was probably a lot cheaper. This movie apparently cost $350 million to make. The eighth most expensive movie ever unadjusted for inflation. And John Wick, I think, cost like 120 or something. Like it is. And that movie looks gorgeous. It looks yeah. gorgeous. It has superb. Yeah, 100, at least action. 100 according to Wikipedia for John Wick. Yeah. I will say that like uh, when we did the John Wick episode, I was a little downer on it um, than most people. And I have reappraised it, having seen stuff like Renfield and Polite Society and now (laughs) Fast X, because at least that's a movie with a real direct, a real artist behind it with a real vision, you know, that communicates something that's about something. Oh man, this, and I, I say all this. And again, I didn't, I didn't hate, hate this one, you know, like it's just, it's just, it feels like nothing and it no. feels so like nothing. 10 movies in, it feels like nothing in the same way that others in this franchise have felt like nothing to me that it can't help but feel even more disappointing. As someone that loves or likes like six of the first seven of the movies, like I just, it, it was just so like disappointing to me that I was offended. Like it, it just, uh, and I, it's funny you guys mentioned the rock thing. And like, if you, if you, how would you, how would you, how would you have felt knowing that being surprised at the end? And cause the other thing I was, the last thing I, I wanted to ask you guys before you like finished up any other odds and ends was like how you actually felt about like, this ending and where they're going from here. Cause like, there's been different thing reports out in the press of like Vin Diesel saying, Oh, we could have a three parts of fast X or whatever. And this is just the part fast one. Triple, yeah, two. fast triple X. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Return and, of Xander cage. So like, I guess two part question is like one, like how, how do you feel about them? Like ending one of these on a cliffhanger when that wasn't really like really made it all that apparent that this was like going to be a continued thing going in. These movies don't typically end on cliffhangers. They end in barbecues and in two, <laughs> Because uh, uh, well, could, John Cena, John Cena got barbecued in his car. Does that count? No, uh, no, good, no, because I don't actually believe he got barbecued in his car. He's going to be back uh, in part three, probably. But I, but I would say, the, I think the exact same way Gal Gadot goes out. I think she, <laughs> if I remember correctly, she goes out in a fireball, and uh, I mean, Han went out in a fireball. You right, know, that means like, nothing, Fred. But yeah. but 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 I, but I would say the bigger cliffhanger for me is that The Rock showed up to know is he going to share the screen with Vin in a future movie or are they going to spend like 30 million dollars in technology so they can share a scene but not actually have to appear together i mean that is that is is the cliffhanger for me 
they already have said, done yeah. it you know like the um i, I actually um uh, like uh I, i'm pretty sure on the bridge scene i'm pretty sure none of those people are on the same bridge at the same time i'm pretty sure heard, I, 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 I heard some people cynically talking about that on a podcast like and i'm like oh that, that could very well be the case yeah, yeah. i know for yeah, I, I, I know it. for a fact that i know for a fact that um what's her name i keep forgetting the name brie of larson. wonder woman brie larson, brie larson. that's not I, that's, that's, I, that's captain marvel not wonder woman yeah, I, I, there you go. Um, I know for a fact Brie Larson wasn't on there. I'm staring at the screen. She never actually, you never get a clear shot of her face and anybody else other than uh, when Vin is leaning against the car window. And that could easily just be like, you know, uh, him being comped into that shot, you know, uh, beyond that, like, uh, I, I don't know, like, I don't. I would love to see them share the screen together. Uh, I'd like those candy asses to like, you know, uh, make up. Um, although I will say that Vin, Vin does not look great in this one. I won't lie. Uh, like I, I, you can tell that he's just moving a little more sluggish. I've heard that that was part of the tension between him and Justin Lin is that he showed up kind of out of shape and unwilling to do any of the action. Uh, meanwhile, you've got, you know, John Cena, I should say, actually, John Cena, his fight scene was pretty decent. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say that they use his wrestling skills pretty well. Oh, with the, the raid on the house where he takes out the entire team. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I will say this: the hand-to-hand on on rewatch, not it's not that it's terribly composed. Uh, I, again, like you know, they, these are people that actually know action who are working behind the scenes. Just really too 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 edited, too over edited, and in some of the fight scenes, there's literally no goal in mind. Um, but like, it, it makes it even more frustrating, honestly, when I see like, for example, the, uh, fight scene with, uh, Jason Statham, where like, that's a guy who can move, right. Uh, you know, Han isn't really being called to do too much. They got the cameras in the right place. The, the actors are blocked correctly and all. So why, why even over edit it? <laughs> like they over editing. You do that when you're trying to hide the deficiencies in your direction or your previs work or whatever. And there's it doesn't seem like that's the case so why is it so over edited i can't understand it so uh it sounds like you weren't a fan of the direction for the most part is there is there uh, you being the action guy that you are who also has decided that like david leach is kind of a problem with a lot of movies uh only in the storytelling only in the storytelling okay so is is there someone you would want them to bring in to try and salvage like the next one you know actually i did have a thought um uh, and you might fight me on this one, <laughs> but um, the director of Day Shift, J.J. Uh, Perry. Now, I, I was thinking we, about we didn't this. Like, we didn't like Day Shift, but the action wasn't why. Yeah, exactly. And like I was watching, actually, he was on the if you're familiar with the Corridor Crew, they do that stunt people react series. And uh, he was on the couch for that one. And he broke down a lot of the action in Day Shift. He broke down a lot of the car stuff, which is actually some of the more I'm not a huge car guy, truthfully, in most action films. But uh, he broke down the car work. He's talking about how he's like drones are like the new thing in action filmmaking. Like it's like the Russian arm that they use or whatever it's called. And he's just breaking down all the ways that he used it. And like, I'm watching the scenes from day shift and I'm like, yeah, this is so much better than something like ambulance, you know? Uh, so unmotivated. Hey, hey, that's yeah. No, I do not like ambulance. Ambulance is, I think one of the worst action movies oh ever made God. on a pure action filmmaking standpoint and i i don't want to get I into like that to see you do surgery on. in an ambulance going 50 miles an hour <laughs> and well that's one of the scenes that works and it has nothing to do with the drones and shit but uh, yeah the, the drone filmmaking in that one i think is where it gets away he, he uses drones in a way that oh. obscures the action that creates a degree of remove from the action like yeah there's a fucking drone going down the side of a building but now i don't know that's where the fucking awesome but I don't know where people are shooting at, you know, like I don't it's just noise. It's just B-roll pretty much. It's awful. But J.J. Perry uses it to fall. Even um, apparently the uh, the guy in charge of the drones in this one, he previously worked on Red Notice. And as much as I'm not a fan of Red Notice, I thought that the cinematography in that one is certainly in that first action set piece where the drone is following like Ryan Reynolds as he's doing parkour. Pretty good. So. Yeah, I would say J.J. Perry would be a good, you know, fuck it. Give it to Isaac Florentine. Give it to somebody who really likes action cinema, not just like not just the action necessarily, but also just the kind of stories, the kind of thematic resonance uh, that these movies do, you know, so well or so efficiently, Um, because uh, I, I think that. 
I don't know. I, I think at this point it's it's a fool's errand to talk about how much they need to scale things down. That's not going to happen, I feel like. Although if this movie underperforms too much, I feel like we might get a reboot. <laughs> we might get a reboot. We might never know how Dom guts out of that dam. But uh, yeah, I just, oh boy. Uh, you know, or go bigger and sillier and goofier and make the entire thing look like a Robert Rodriguez movie. Fuck it. I mean, Hypnotic wasn't great. Give him the reins to this. And see, I didn't make it to Hypnotic. That's that's the kind of thing that's just a casualty for me until I uh, find a new movie <laughs> theater home. Wait for that to get onto Tubi where it deserved to be in the first place. <laughs> uh, Fred, any other final thoughts on uh, on uh, Fast 10, Fast X? Uh, we call it a Fast X or Fast 10. I don't know. Fast uh, X, uh, it's got to be... X. No, nope, it's gonna be Fast Ten because it's a pun, right? Fast Ten, your seatbelt. Oh, oh my! I did not know clever. that. That's oh. I don't. I don't. I don't. Here's the thing. I think you just put more thought into it than anybody behind this series. Because <laughs> that would That's why you invite me on these podcasts to explain the humor <laughs> of these movies to you. Yes, Fred. <laughs> any other final? Th- Fred, any other final thoughts on Fast Ten or the state of the franchise or anything about the movie we didn't touch on that you wanted to mention? I mean, I thought for sure that I was never going to see another one of these again after Fast 9, mm-hmm. and I still went to see the 10th one. So I'm sure <laughs> I'm going to see the 11th one as well in two years. But, but, but it's a bummer. I think you explained it very well earlier. There was a time when these characters were likable, when I was excited to go see these every two or three years, where there was still something to this franchise that made it worth showing up. Uh, and now it's really just because I go to the movies a lot that I see the latest Fast and Furious movie. And it's not really something that I particularly enjoy revisiting anymore, but as a completist who writes reviews on Letterboxd, it's still something that I get some benefit out of because I get to write about it and shit on it. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I mean, that's, I mean, it sounds kind of cynical, but I genuinely do enjoy watching bad movies sometimes because it really allows me to kind of write about it and figure out what is it really that makes me dislike certain movies as opposed to others. And we have a new Mission Impossible movie, co- movie coming out later this summer, right? And we made the comparison a couple of times. That's also a franchise that's been going on for a long time. It's in its, what, eighth installment now? So we really get to see if that's a franchise that can still keep reinventing itself after all this time. And if the lead actor in that one um, understands better than Vin Diesel does for this franchise why people keep showing up for it. Because I think the Fast and Furious franchise lost the plot in that regard a long time ago, where they no longer really understand why people kept coming to see these movies in the first place. I, yeah, I'll be really interested to talk about uh, Dead Reckoning in in the wake of talking about this one. Because, I mean, look, could, if I put a gun to your head, could you explain the plot of, uh, of uh, Fallout to me? You know, it's just... <laughs> I, I No, but it's not. also been five years, to be fair. It's, it's been a while. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it to begin with. I'm actually not a huge fan of the Mission Impossible movies. I, I like them more than Fast and Furious. Um, and I certainly think that I'm going to like Dead Reckoning more than this. But, um, yeah, but my, my point being that like it's not like any of those characters are like super, super like well-developed. I, I feel like they've almost put a little more time into like developing the characters in the Fast movies as uh, as people. But like, you know, and, and, and they put those movies, th- those movies have been coming out at a faster rate than the Mission Impossible ones have. So, I mean, you know, who knows, maybe they won't have the same quality control in Mission Impossible, but, you know, if they just like stick to really cool action and don't do anything that's like just jumping like 15 sharks at once, like this movie did, uh, you know, that might, that might be enough. And, uh, you know, um, it's just, I think Tom Cruise just in general, like, you know, seems to really like have a good grasp on uh, what people want to see when they go see this stuff. So, I, I I guess we'll see. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that, that that that's fast ten. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's it's. I I wish I wish we could have like you know had a more. I mean, I th- I had fun. But I I just wish it could we could have had fun talking about a good movie instead of a instead of just one that is it feels like so offensive and so such an offensive entry into a franchise <laughs> I genuinely have a lot of love for. Uh, it's just, it's disappointing. Um, D- uh, Daniel, anything else you've been watching recently you would like to direct the listeners to before we sign off? Well, you know, I've been watching actually a good amount of stuff that I've I've really loved. Uh, mm. I found Carmen to be incredibly moving, one of my favorites of the year. Um, I was very surprised by Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, a coming-of-age yep. movie yeah. that actually managed to, you know, do something for me. But I'm not going to talk about any of those. What I'm going to talk to you guys about is Hearts and Horses, a movie <laughs> released very recently, <laughs> a movie that I came across on Tubi. Um 
it is the, a real depth of Tubi release. Uh, it has fourteen <laughs> log. It has fourteen logs on Letterbox. Oh my God, and um, <laughs> it is about a young girl who is dropped off, a teenager who is dropped off at her dad's apple farm. <laughs> And they, uh, he didn't know he had a daughter, and they try, they start to bond with each other after the death of her mother. This film is directed by the auteur uh, Ashley Hayes Wright. Um, she plays the love interest in the film. This is a three-family unit that has been making movies at a alarming rate. This movie does uh, not have- even have uh, it has it has it doesn't even it has one. She's the only person in the cast on Letterbox that actually has like a, a picture. She has directed Ashley Hayes Wright has directed. 12 movies in the past four years, all of them to be <laughs> releases, all of them supremely amateur filmmake films. Like this movie is again the 12th movie that she has made. I don't know what Spielberg was on on film 12, but um, I think he knew how to white balance by then. I think that he thought, like, hmm, do I need five minutes of a horse jumping around to techno music? Uh, do I need like this movie? It's so surprising to me. I mean, yes, it's an amateur filmmaker, sure, but it's surprising to me that they have gone this far and developed their talents this little. Uh, they can't act, they can't shoot a film, they can't write. They, I don't. I, I don't know what they're getting out of this, truthfully. It's a baffling experience. It's a testing experience. It's a trying experience. It's one of the worst movies uh, that I've seen this year. And I will probably run through every single other movie that they've made. Because this is, I just I just shared my screen on Zoom so you guys could see the poster for her previous movie, Civil War Saint. Look at that. That looks like a Daniel movie if I've ever seen one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Civil <laughs> oh, War man. Saint I'm excited to check out. I'm very excited to check out The Christmas Doodle, uh, which has a Labrador, Labradoodle on the cover of it. Uh, very excited uh, to dive through this American auteur, uh, this modern day, uh, maybe Corman, maybe modern day Cassavetes, uh, and and really <laughs> reverse engineer a theory for why this is an artist that we need to be paying attention to. Uh, th- I want to say that there are like about three other reviews on Letterboxd, and I can read them all right now. Total fucking horse shit, an emoji of a horse and a piece of poop. And yep. watch this with my boyfriend and gotta say, we love Encourage TV. Hearts I, and Horses. Hearts and Horses. I, 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 uh, it's, uh, you, you, I'm really, really glad you've seen Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret, because I would be offended if you hadn't you'd spent this much time in the depths of Tubi uh, <laughs> watching this. Uh, Fred, anything you've watched recently that you would like to direct the listeners to? It's been a while since you've been back on. I'm sure you've been watching stuff since we've last talked to you. Yeah, I was going to say, let me pivot a little bit from that uh, great uh, <laughs> recommendation that Daniel gave to our listeners. Um, first things first, uh, I want to give a shout out to my man, Ray Stevenson, who unfortunately passed away yesterday at the age of 58. Uh, one of my first HBO shows that I ever watched was Rome, uh, mm. which unfortunately only got two seasons because it was just way too expensive um, mm. for anybody uh, to keep making this uh, on a TV budget, even for HBO. But really gritty and very historically uh, impressive uh, TV making slash filmmaking, I guess, uh, where Ray Stevenson plays one of the two main characters, a legionnaire named Titus Pullo, who during the time of Julius Caesar taking over Rome, uh, kind of becomes one of his uh, most loyal soldiers. uh, And that way kind of works his way up uh, into some of the uh, higher echelons of Roman society. Really interesting cast to Carrie uh, Condon, who mm. became well known to a bigger audience last year with her role in Banshees of Inisherin, has a main part in there. Kiaran uh, Hines uh, plays Julius Caesar, actually. So a whole bunch of recognizable faces who really kind of broke into uh, big television uh, with those with those two seasons of Rome. Really well done show, and especially because a lot of stuff gets removed from streaming services nowadays, never to be seen again. Uh, that is a show I would definitely recommend to people if they haven't seen it. It's 20 years old now, but I'm pretty sure it's going to hold up really well. Um, so definitely a recommendation that I want to uh, make for uh, that. Uh, on a more recent note, uh, I've been watching Silo. That's a new TV show on Apple starring uh, Rebecca Ferguson, who is obviously in Dune and the Mission Impossible franchise. And actually, I don't know why I'm telling you this. You all know who Rebecca Ferguson is. Uh, And she plays um, one of the uh, engineers in uh, a futuristic society that's completely underground, the silo. 
Uh, and that's really all I'm going to say about it because it really does a very good job sort of revealing its layers during the first couple of episodes uh, in terms of what people's motivations are, who are living in the silo, why they're not allowed to leave, um, what the societal and judicial structure is uh, within um, their uh, different uh, arrangements that they have down there. Uh, also pretty impressive cast. Uh, Tim Robbins is in this. Um, uh, Rashida Jones, David Oyelowo. So also a pretty high profile cast. Uh, really good show, Silo. Really intriguing. Um, only four episodes in, but I'm definitely looking forward to see where they're taking this. Yeah, and that's really all that I, that I have for today, I think. Um, been struggling to find good television recently, to be honest. Not a ton of shows that we've been watching. So hopefully that changes over the next few weeks. You know, I would recommend to you Common uh, <laughs> Rider. That's the only show which, which I've show? seen in like the past like five months. Common uh, Rider is a, uh, you know, tokusatsu show. It's the first tokusatsu show, really, I think. Um, it's, uh, you know, like Power Ranger, Super Sentai, like, you know, all those stuff about like transforming heroes and such. He was the first. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a guy in a suit fighting a bunch of other guys in suits. Japanese show from <laughs> the 70s. Uh, Hideyuki Ano is directing his kind of reboot, um, Shin Kamen Rider, uh, part of his Shin series that premieres on the 31st of this month as a Fathom event, one night only in theaters. So uh, it's a very fun show if you're into like, you know, that sort of goofy sci-fi martial arts stuff. Hmm. Uh, Fred, do you guys watch The Great? Uh, no, I did put it on the list recently. We never actually made it to that one. But yeah, I've oh. uh, been curious about checking that one out for a while now. Same. That's on Hulu, Same. right? Yes, third season just just dropped, but uh, I've only watched the first episode. But like, I think it's something you would enjoy. If you just, I just, I, I, I was just thinking about like, well, that just came out, and Fred said he's having having trouble finding TV. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'd recommend that. Uh, I don't have a ton to recommend this week. I would say I, uh, I watched. Uh, first of all, uh, watch Short Term Twelve. I promise, Brie Larson used to be in good movies. Uh, second, <laughs> uh, secondly, I. Uh, I, like I did say I saw I, I saw uh, Master Gardener on Friday on Saturday. If you in, have enjoyed Paul Schrader's last two movies, I know not everyone has, but uh, Card Counter and uh, First Reform. This is another kind of like you know um, you know man reckoning with some heavy shit movie, but uh, it's I called it, I heard it called like the third man in a room film. Something like that. Yeah, it, it, it begins with the man uh, diarying, uh, writing in a diary because of course, because that's just what he does in these movies. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's it starts with Joel Edgerton as a, like a reformed skinhead uh, who tends to a garden by the that owned by this rich lady played by Sigourney Weaver. But, you know, a, another woman comes into the picture to work in this garden and kind of, you know, upends his life in an interesting way is what I'll say. It's uh, I, I think it's actually pretty it, it's actually a pretty good watch. And uh, let's just say at, at, at some points has a different vibe than some of the other Paul Schrader movies that have come out recently. So I think it's actually worth checking out, though. It's not in a ton of theaters. I would hope it might uh, come to streaming soon. So uh, yeah, that's what I got for now. Coming up next on the podcast, I think we're going to have episodes on... Um, I'm about to go out of town, but I'm going to watch a lot of stuff while I'm in, in Los Angeles, including, you know, uh, The Little Mermaid and Across the <laughs> Spider-Verse. And uh, yeah, I know, Fred. Uh, and uh, you, you hurt my feelings, past lives. I, I've, I have a lot of stuff in my schedule for then. So we're going to see the order in which we do stuff. But we have plenty of stuff coming up after this. As usual, you can find Daniel on Letterboxd at Felonious Funk. Uh, Fred is, uh, at, it's Fred Cobb, but Fred, 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 but if I look at your URL in Letterboxd, you don't usually say it. It's Frederick0702. Sometimes it's easier to search people that way. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. But if you type in my name, you should just find it that way too. Like I just go by my real name on Letterboxd. I don't really care if people know what I'd write on there. I'm proud there of you, what I put to there, paper. So yeah, there you go. And it's Fred the German on Twitter. As usual, I'm Josh Jernavoy, J O S H J U R N O V O I on both Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Daniel and Fred for being so generous with their time with such a movie that probably didn't deserve it. We'll see you all <laughs> next time.